Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Greatest Games podcast on the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller. With me is Jonathan Wilson. With us today is Mike Keegan, sports news correspondent at the Daily Mail and author of This Is How It Feels, one of the great untold football miracles of all time. Mike, pleasure to have you on the pod. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Uh, today, we go back to November 1989 for the League Cup fourth round tie that ended Oldham 3, Arsenal 1. Mike, why have you chosen this game? Um, well, I wrote a book, as you kindly mentioned, uh, that came out recently. And it's about the amazing two seasons, uh, 89, 90 and 90, 91, when Joe Royal took Oldham to, to heights that we didn't dream possible. And this was the first game, the Arsenal game that we kind of, we knew at the start of the season we had a decent team. And then Arsenal, they were the champions of England at the time, um, following the, I think it was the Anfield Michael Thomas game um, just earlier that year. And they they rock up and they get absolutely, I mean, spoiler alert, they get absolutely blasted off the plastic. Um, and it's it's just, when that happened, it's like, wow. Like, we thought we had a decent team, but, you know, in Oldham's history, there was a great line in um, that I've, I've shamelessly nicked in the book. I think it was in The Guardian in the match report that said they've waited for... Uh, 60 odd years to beat top flight opposition and they did that last night and I think he said the Pennines fairly shook uh, and that was that even as a kid I mean I'm 43 now I was 11 at the time um, and and I can just remember from that night the incredible atmosphere and the feeling that wow our little team have just taken the best team in England mm-hmm. to the cleaners. Yeah, that and that that's, that is important. I mean, sixty six years. I read the same report <laughs> when I was researching <laughs> this, and because uh, because one can think sometimes when talking about uh, what we've come to know as as sort of a, a football league clubs, you haven't been in the top flight for a while. You think, oh, but we're old and good back in those days. Do you know what I mean? But Jonathan, that that stat is important because Oldham were not a fancied team. Uh, it, it, you know, they've never won a major trophy in there in their history. I mean, they, they came close in 1915, just a point behind Everton, you know, but they but they haven't. So th- this was, as um, Mike's book uh, testifies to, uh, uh, just a, an outstanding season. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, again, Mike mentions this instant, but I, I was I was at the game, the, well, it was Sunderland's final league game of the season. I think Oldham played one more because they'd have so many games delayed because they had these great runs in the League Cup and the FA Cup. But the, the final league game... And Sunderland were guaranteed to be sixth, and, but we wanted to win to get an easier draw in the playoffs. Didn't want to have to play Newcastle, although actually it turned out fine. Um, <laughs> the, the, bit, the beat Newcastle, but turned out fine. Other things became slightly more complex. Um, and Oldham had sort of, uh, they were knackered by the end of that season. And they, they, you know, they lost like six out of eight through through the April. So they, they weren't in the promotion picture anymore. But Oldham beat, beat, beat Sunderland 3-2. I remember Roger Palmer scoring a header and Sunderland were never really in that game. Three T flat at Sunderland, and I remember being—I was standing with my dad on the Roker end, probably about fifteen yards from the Oldham fans. And at the final whistle, yeah, you know, final game of the season, so it was often a pitch invasion. And suddenly it becomes apparent that Sunderland fans are sort of walking across the pitch towards that corner of the Roker end where where the Oldham fans were. And me and my dad were both sort of like, "Ah, this this looks like it might go off. Uh, we better get out of here." But yeah, you know, it's just too many people there. We can't get out, so we were very, very anxious. And Sunderland fans, this sort of very slow sort of encroachment stops about ten yards short of the Oldham fans. And and Mike, you say in the book that Oldham fans themselves were nervous about this because what's going on? And they just stop and they just sort of start applauding because Oldham had such a great season. 
yeah, they, they got to the League Cup final. They uh, took Manchester United to, to replay in the FA Cup semi-final. Yeah, they, they, they'd beaten Arsenal and, and uh, Everton. They beat Southampton, West Ham. They, yeah, they'd beaten top flight sides. And there was a sense then that kind of it was a, just a desperate shame that they'd gone out of that season having won nothing. Uh, and then fortunately, the next season, they were able to maintain that momentum and, and get the promotion. But I've never seen that before of, well, I mean, certainly Sunderland fans, but I, I think any fans going over to an away set of fans to applaud the fans. What a great season they've had. Mm. I spoke to um, Neil Adams, who scored one of the other goals in that game, and he remembered it as well. And, and he said, because the players were still on when the Sunderland fans came onto the pitch. And at first he's thinking, you know, this is 1990. We're not a million miles away from the peak hooligan years. And it's like, mm, this this isn't great. And the Sunderland fans just wanted to shake his hand. And I think that's that's the valid point. It, it was Joe Royal tells a great story. He was at the um, Manager of the Year Awards at the end of the season. And he didn't win, which I find bizarre, given what, what he'd he achieved. He did win. I don't I have to look it. Somebody else asked me that. I, c- I can imagine it would either be Kenny Dalgleish or Ferguson, maybe, because he won yeah. United's first trophy. Um, but he knew that he wasn't going to win. But halfway through the evening, Brian Moore, who commentated on some of the games that season, um, basically refers to this team in blue that had warmed the nation throughout the winter months. And the highlights start showing on the screen. And Joe realises, and, and he got a stand innovation for that. And he, he kind of, that, he kind of twigged, you know, that, that was the importance of it. Everybody outside Oldham, um, kind of took them in as the second team. And, yeah, he, he had a lump in his throat after that. And it, it does. And you said, we said previously, the number of people that you speak to of a certain age, probably 40 or above, remember that team for that glorious season. And the Sunderland supporters, I mean, I kind of, I've always had a soft spot for Sunderland because of that afternoon. And you kind of, if you, this, this will probably sound condescending and it, it really doesn't, I don't intend it that way. But you think of proper football fans. And you think Sunderland, you know, what they've been through, the crowds that they still get, like those are proper football fans. And they realised what they'd seen was great. And to do that was something that we'd not seen before. Yeah, researching this side, it seems to be, as you say, and you've mapped out there, that this Oldham side, when people talk about uh, particular teams going cup runs, they were everybody's second favourite team. Like this was absolutely undisputed this, this, this season under Joe Raw that, but but even the media seemed very very surprised and shocked. How did the media kind of focus on them? Did they was it the usual tropes of oh well they're a bit luckier or tough to beat and so on? But as the season progressed, perhaps more respect was was gained. There was a split. Uh, I went up. To, I spent a lot of time um, in near Weatherby at the British Library going through the nationals and their their coverage of it. There was still a lot of reporters who, who I presume were not from the northern patch who were quite snooty about it, who put a lot of the success down to the plastic pitch, which was a, which was a valid point. Um, there's a chap, Stuart Jones, who, who I, I took from it, I think it was in the Times, and they beat Villa, who were top of the first division at the time in the FA Cup quarterfinal, 3-0, destroyed them. Uh, so it was very similar to the Arsenal game. And he basically had a right whinge in, in the Times. So it's a disgrace. These football matches should not be played on these surfaces. But then... The ones who were regulars and Joe, I spoke to John Richardson, a veteran reporter who was around at the time, who's still going now, Rico. And Rico said that he would do a lot of Newcastle games 
uh, and he'd do a lot of Oldham games. Like he lived in Chester and he'd be back earlier to Chester from the Newcastle games than the Oldham games because Joe had this thing where he, he valued the press. He, he, he realized that you needed to get them on side. So after the games, they'd often end up in his office, a few cans of beer for, and they'd be in there for hours. So it's quite, it's quite clear when you're reading the reports who was part of that pack and, and who wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I find yeah, it I mean, funny. Is there a sense as well? Sorry, is, is there a sense as well that the plastic it had this sort of reputation, this aura, and so Oldham could use that to intimidate opponents? Because you have the the Southampton game, which is the round after this, the the, the fifth round of the League Cup, when when they get the last minute equaliser, and and Joe will turn to Southampton bench and going ah back on the plastic. Yeah, so it was a sort of sense plastic. of yeah. <laughs> There yeah. was something that, that uh, uh, you know, whether whether it was fair or not, it was something opposing teams were were concerned by. Yeah, and and it, they used to ham it up. They they play on it. There's, there's some great stories. So Andy Barlow was the left back. He was from Oldham. So he on the Friday afternoons he would stay behind because he'd be, he'd be the one who would always go into the schools and do presentations for kids and all that kind of stuff. So on the Fridays before a home game the away team would turn up because part of the rules were they were allowed to train on the pitch so they could get used to it. So Barlow would wait for them in the main stand. He'd come down and he'd see, usually, there'd be about 20 different pairs of shoes at the side of the pitch, different uh, trainers and different studs. And and he'd come down as a friendly professional and he'd be like, oh, lads, those that you're wearing. And he, he would intentionally go to the most inappropriate footwear in the pile and he'd be like these are what you need to wear <laughs> and they were and Ian Marshall tells a great story I think it was Port Vale that they were playing and there was such this this mystique about the pitch and the, what you could and couldn't wear and he looked down in the tunnel and one of the Port Vale pa- players was wearing a pair of Dunlop Green Flash the former <laughs> fire fire service plimsolls um, and he, he, he knew then that you know we're going to be alright today and Rick yeah. Holden came up with a great line. I think it was for, um, it might, it was either Everton or West Ham in the same cup run. And he said before the game that there'll be dog, there'll be like dogs sliding around on Lino. <laughs> and that was exactly as it, as it played out. So they, they certainly used it to their own advantage. Rick said before the Arsenal game, he went up to the main stand to watch their training session and he could see they had a walkthrough and George Graham had basically banned them from playing any long balls. Because there was this view that if you play a long ball, it's just going to bounce off the turf and it's just going to go out, which was a nonsense because it was actually quite a true bounce. So they really did use that to, to their own advantage. Yeah, see, I find this funny because nowadays, you know, you fast forward a bit. I know artificial services have changed quite a lot, but a passing side, a more so-called cultured side, would want a more artificial service. They they want, you know, was, you know the, the team who is perhaps look down upon or whatever for, for being uncultured, you know, presumably want to play in a kind of farmer's field, that, that, that kind of thing. But what was the style of play under Gerald? Because it wasn't just the, the results and the kind of the, um, the character of the side and the team spirit. Was it, as I understand it, the style of play was quite uh, attractive to the neutral. Yeah, he, he would adapt quite a lot. So, and um, obviously we can talk about it with the Arsenal game, but hmm. he started the season in a 4-4-2. And it was kind of, fullbacks had to be rapid. So they had Dennis Irwin on one side, who was, who was very quick, Andy Barlow on the other side. His midfield two, Milligan and Henry, were basically get the ball, give it to someone who can play. Um, and then his wingers, Rick Holden, Neil Adams, were both could get crosses in. And he, he's two up front, Frankie Bunn, 
was kind of the target man and Andy Ritchie was there to, to finish it off. But he, he switched for the Arsenal game and played three up front to give them more to think about. There's a great, a great comment from Sir Alex Ferguson when they played United at um, Main Road in the FA Cup semi-final. So they draw 3-3 and then they lose 2-1. And they are, when it got to 2-1, instead of, sorry, when they, when they pulled it back to 1-1 in the replay, instead of just settling for a replay, Joe was like, we, the last thing in the world this football club needs is another game this season because I think they ended up playing 65. So Andy Holden, the centre half, had gone to play up front. And as the equaliser went in, he looked over to the bench and said to Joe, do I go back now? And Joe said, no, stay up there. And as things transpired, Mark Robbins went through a giant Andy Holden-sized hole <laughs> and, and scored the winner. And Joe regrets that. He said, "I should. What was another game? And you know, we we, we didn't get promoted. I kind of knew at the time we were, we were running out of energy. We should have. He should have come back. But then Alex Ferguson after the game, the press saying, you, you know, what are your thoughts on Oldham? And he says they are the best team that we've ever we've mm-hmm. played this season. So the press kind of do a double take, and it's like, well, hang on a minute, Liverpool are in there peak at the time. They, they, I think they'd already won the title. Do you do you mean do you include Liverpool? And Alex Ferguson said, they have just played against us, Manchester United, with one centre half in a semi final. <laughs> do you think Liverpool would ever do that? Um so it was it was just bold. It was very attacking. Um and as you said, the, the plastic came into it. Joe's moan, because the home form was dreadful that season. Sorry, the away form was dreadful. They only won two games on the road. And Joe would say the reason we don't win on the road is because the pitches are so bad. So when they go to Old Trafford, sorry, Main Road and play United, it's that time of year where the pitch is in amazing condition and they can play on that. Um, but yeah, it, it, they struggled on quagmires and as the weather turned, then they really did mm-hmm. struggle away from Which is that. a weird thing about the complaints about plastic pitches. I get there's a, mm. you know, a health and safety issue with kind of impact on knees and whatever, but it clearly is a better surface than you know, yeah. some, some of a rutted bog. And yet we were happy with bogs, but somehow plastic was seen as being... Um, Which is why I find it so odd that that some people are a bit snooty towards them, because you'd think it'd be the other way around. Yeah, and they're saying, I, I, no, I you guess should... it's just because it's artificial. There's a, it's there's different. A, yeah. I think it's what it was. It was different, and that yeah, was. But the... just on this point of a number of games they played, I, I love that story you tell in the book about the the Simod Cup game that year, the game when Nick Henry sort of <laughs> makes his breakthrough. So go on, tell us that story. Yeah, I, I think it might have been the season before. Oh, was it? Uh, sorry, Nick, sorry. Nick, Nick Henry was. Um, Joe said that he had old man's legs, um, which meant that he kind of ran from side to side too much. And, and he tried to get him uh, in at Chester. He tried to get him in at Stockport. And because he just, he was a great kid. He'd come from Liverpool. He was getting two buses every day just to come into training. Uh, and they played Middlesbrough in, I think it was called the Simod Cup. Or I think that merged into Zenith Data Systems. Uh, Fairs Cup originally. And he just didn't want to play against him because uh, they were playing at, at Ipswich on the Friday. So he phoned Bruce Rioch and said, can, Bruce, can we move this game from Wednesday to Tuesday? Because um, I could do with an extra day to prepare for, for the Ipswich game. And Bruce Rioch's response was, and they, they were friends, the pair of them. Joe, Middlesbrough Football Club plays its midweek games on a Wednesday. And Joe's like, well, I know that, but we've got Ipswich on Friday. Is, is there any chance to bring it forward? Joe, Middlesbrough Football Club, <laughs> Plays its midweek games on a Wednesday. So it's like, oh, great. So he sticks Henry in midfield. Oldham are losing 1-0 and they're delighted about this because they just want to be out of this competition. And all of a sudden, Henry starts playing like, I don't know, reincarnation of, I don't know, Alan Ball. And she's winning the ball left, right and centre. A man possessed. And it's looking like Oldham are going to score an equaliser. So Joe turns to his, uh, his physio, Ian Liversidge, the sauce, and says, uh, right, take, take the two forwards off. 
says, that right, boss? And then who's coming on? He says, nobody. <laughs> so Lewis starts laughing. He's like, I'm not sure you can do that, boss. He said, well, there's no rules that I've ever seen that say you can't. So they hold up the two numbers, the two players come running off. And the ref's like, who's coming on, Joe? Joe's like, nobody. <laughs> so they're not, they call it the non-substitution substitutions. <laughs> so they take the two off. They end up with nine men. They lose one nil. And Bruce Rioch goes crazy after the game. It's like they disrespected the competition. And Joe's response was, well, I told you we didn't want to be in the effing competition. <laughs> and that was Nick Henry then plays, as we'll, we'll talk about, a key yeah, yeah. role in, in the Arsenal game. But he, he should have been nowhere near, not, not only Oldham, football by that stage. I, I love that story you told as yeah. well about when he first arrived. He was, um, his landlady kept loads of cats and he had a cat allergy. So he was desperately struggling, kind of, because his cats kept on stealing into his bed. Yeah, yeah, he'd get home from a long day training and, uh, yeah, he'd pull the covers back and there'd be a cat in his bed. Okay. <laughs> he went from there. Um, I mean, he's from Dingle in Liverpool. So, you know, you, you would imagine he'd, he'd be quite used to kind of a working class environment. But I think even the parts of Oldham that he ended up in opened his eyes and then, he went with a, a very religious family. So if he ever um, pulled up in training or had like an ankle niggle, then the, the family would all gather around the table and say prayers for Nick's injury. So, it, yeah, sounded like a, quite an interesting time off the field. My goodness. All right, chaps, uh, let's have a quick break and then we'll talk about the match against Arsenal. See you in a moment, everybody. Welcome back to the greatest games on the blizzard. So then, um, to the match. As you mentioned earlier, uh, Mike Arsenal were the top flight champions uh, turning up uh, of course to Boundary Park and um, and you say that this was this the the first moment then that everybody set up and took note of Oldham I think so game? I think so they, they played Leeds um, in the first round and Leeds were kind of we played Leeds a lot at the time and, and Joe Royal had pilfered Leeds because uh, Billy Brennan was there and, and he kind of, it was criminal really, but Brennan oversaw the, the dismantling of this amazing youth setup that Eddie Gray had set up before he arrived. So we'd, we'd taken the likes of Dennis Irwin, Andy Linnigan, Tommy Wright, people like that off them. Um, and we, we would routinely beat Leeds, even though they were, they were the favourites for the second division that year. So we, we beat them over two legs, both home and away. And then we played Scarborough in the previous round. And to be fair, Scarborough had beaten Chelsea, which was unheard of over two legs. So there was a little bit nervous about that. And we beat Scarborough 7-0. And obviously Frankie Bunn got six of the goals, which I think still stands as, as the tournament record today. So it was kind of, we knew that we were, we were onto a good thing. We knew that we had a good team, but the champions of, of England come to town and it's, you know, now's the test. Like how, how good are we? And I don't think anybody foresaw what, what came after that. Yeah, and that and that um, transfer strategy that that Joe Roll took Jonathan to kind of, as it as it was said, sort of raid the reserve teams of Leeds and Everton and those kind of places, you know, pay dividends, of course. And and some of the names in that side, so, you know, Dennis Irwin being one that I'm sure people would remember. I I quite like that. Was Paul Warhurst used as a centre half? Because for me, I remember more Paul Warhurst when he was at Sheffield Wednesday when he was played a bit further forward. But that that was an emergency thing at Sheffield Wednesday. He got he got mm. shifted up front. You know, I, yeah. I, was, was was David Hurst was injured? I think possibly. And so he yeah. shoved Warhurst forward. He suddenly gets twelve and twelve and gets yeah, exactly. call up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but does that I suppose feed in, uh, Mike, to the this um this, the the attacking flair of this side that they. Uh, that they had players who were all willing to get involved in the attack. 
Yeah, definitely. A lot of the defenders scored goals that season. Um, Warris was quite an interesting one because Joe had already been to City and taken Earl Barrett for £35,000. Um, and they ended up selling Barrett, I think, £1.7 million and he paid for a stand that he still <laughs> should be named after him. But <laughs> Earl, I mean, this, this, is, this is the sadness, I suppose, and the, the changing of the times. Earl had, been, had played for City's first team. He was only young. He was lightning quick. He was quite highly rated, but did, for whatever reason, Mel Machin just didn't fancy him. Now, Oldham were able to pay Earl more money to come and play for Oldham than he was on at Manchester City. I mean, can you imagine now if Oldham went to get a kid out of City's reserves who played for the first team, he'd be on 45, 50 grand a week. Um, so he'd been and he got Earl and he, City were kicking themselves about it because immediately it became clear that they, they dropped a massive one there. So he goes back to watch the reserves and he's talking to Machin and he asks him, what about the kid Warrest? And Machin says, Mel, it's a Joe. He said, he's, he's driving us mad. He's, he's always injured. He says, well, he's going on a free tomorrow. So Joe said, right, well, we'll, we'll take him. So Machin goes to tell Peter Swales, who I'm sure people remember, the, the city chairman. And, and Swales says, if it's them... We want 10 grand. So Machin has to speak to Joe Ron. He's like, I'm really sorry. It's a bit embarrassing. But the chairman said, if he's anywhere else, he's free. But if he's going to you, you're going to have to give us 10 grand. So Royal speaks to his chairman, Ian Stott, and says, we'll make money on this, which were the mag- magic words that would always open the checkbook. <laughs> and he's, he gives him the green light and they sign Warris. And Peter Swales is absolutely delighted that they've managed to take 10,000 off Oldham for this kid that's never going to make it. And Swales tells his, his, the rest of his board, from now on, they're going to call Warris Barrett's revenge because they finally got the revenge for Barrett. <laughs> so Warris comes in, um, and I think he ended up going for, for about eight hundred grand to Sheffield Wednesday play yeah, for yeah. England. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, yeah. And Joe City came in for Joe after the Arsenal game, uh, and again, this is ludicrous. You know, Manchester City coming for the older manager, he turned them down. <laughs> the older manager turning down Manchester City, and it, when he told Swales, he said. Um, Joe, he was disappointed, and as he's, as he's going to leave, he said, just one one last thing, Joe. Is there anyone else in our reserves that you like the look of? And Joe just started laughing. I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you. So that was, um, but yeah, going back, they were all um, they're all quick. They all they're yeah. all enterprising, and, and yeah, they they all got for Earl Barrett scored a few goals that season. Was Dennis Irwin. Um, didn't really see it as much at United because um, they had some great players there. But Dennis used to take the free kicks, and, and he was lethal from the end of the box. Yeah, um, and, and to the match itself, Jonathan. I mean, looking at sort of highlights on on YouTube and so on, it, it just seemed straight from the off Oldham were on the front foot, which I suppose the fans came to expect that that season. But again, they were playing the champions of England. Yeah, I mean that first half. I, I, I guess the worry would be from my own point of view, the, that they hadn't scored. They were so much on top. They should have had a penalty. I mean, that's clearly a foul by Adams on Bun that mm-hmm. doesn't get given. He goes, goes through him from behind. Um, there's a long-range effort from Irwin that's, that's saved well down by, by to his left by Lukic. Um, yeah, Marshall nearly gets on a on an Irwin cross at the back post. Yeah, they absolutely batter them. Mm-hmm. And then it's only in the last minute of the half when they finally finally get the breakthrough, which is a deep cross from Barlow to, to Richie who takes it down slams it back across Lukic into the far corner. Great finish. Oh, really good finish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, and uh, how important was Mike Ritchie to the side, uh, Mike? Oh, Ritchie was incredible. Uh, I was actually sat behind where where he was when he chested that down. So, and I can still, it's one of the few things that I can still remember now, seeing him chest it down and as he hit it, we were right behind the trajectory of it. 
it doesn't really come across on the footage now, but it actually curled. It sets off mm. going outside and curls and just goes. And as soon as it started coming in, I remember just as a kid sitting there thinking, my God, that's going in. <laughs> uh, and it went in and it, it was absolutely bed, absolute bedlam. And I think that was probably Richie's best game. I mean, there's, there are so many, but there's a bit uh, projecting ahead, but for the third goal, he just mm. glides past an Arsenal defender as though he's not there, outside of the foot out wide, continues his run. Mm. It's, you know, this is a guy, and I don't think it would happen now because I think of all the analysis that we have and, and all the scouts involved. I don't, I don't think a player as talented as Richie would end up at a club like Oldham, uh, a championship club, because he'd come through the ranks at United. He scored a couple of hat-tricks for United. For whatever reason, his face doesn't fit. He like he, a load of clubs came in from. He ended up at Brighton bizarrely because he got on with Alan Mullery, um, and then he, he comes back to Leeds. And he's just every time he played Leeds, you knew Andy Ritchie, great player. And for whatever reason, his face doesn't fit. He ends up at Oldham, and I just I don't think in this day and age you would see a player as good as that. I think he, he was out of place with us, um, as daft as that sounds. He should have been playing in the first division. Yeah, but and and another sign of the times. You know, this season is just really does put it into contrast just how different football was back then and it wasn't that long ago I suppose in the grand scheme of things but um, in the in, in the match Jonathan 1-0 at half time and in the second half starts and Arsenal are then on the front yeah they, 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 they clearly have kind of had a rocket at half time and they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're far far more attacking and Andy Rhodes makes two really good saves and I have to say I was sort of slightly baffled when I when I found the, the highlights for this because I, mean, I remember the semi-final when it was Hallworth in goal and I was like, well, hang on, where's that thin ginger lad gone? Um, but, you know, they had two very good keepers because Rhodes makes two very good saves early in the half. Mm-hmm. First one at Michael Thomas's feet and then it maybe makes the most of that Dick's yeah. method. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it looks really exciting when you first well, see it. it. Well, that's, he also makes a great save from, from Niall Quinn and it was nice to see a goalkeeper, you know, in the context of that... In, it, Back in the day, playing for Oldham, doing these kind of more continental style saves, and I thought, oh, it was a bit of flair, you know, on on show for the fans, you know. No, my, f- my favourite. Ab- sorry, sorry, my favourite bit of that with Rhodes is I, I can't remember which one it is, but it's one of the p- particularly athletic saves that he he makes where he could have actually just caught it really. Yeah. And it, as he lands, the camera zooms in on him, and he he looks like he's got like a full tub of brill cream. Yeah, his, yeah. And he, he just pats the top of his head to make sure his hair's still in place for the cameras. He was ahead of his time, you could argue. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but now Quinn has, a, I mean, I think he gets better as the game goes on for the first yeah. half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the highlights, there's about sort of 10 minutes of highlights for the first half you can find on YouTube. And Niall Quinn must miscontrol the ball about five times that 10 minutes. <laughs> and those are the highlights. So God knows what was happening in the rest of the game. So, yeah, yeah I, was, I was watching it through, you know, hands on my eyes, watching poor Quinny having a shocker. But he, he does get better as the game goes on. Yeah, it scores at the end. Yeah, and a nice goal. So, I mean, they're four really good goals, actually. The second one uh, from that man, Nick Henry, I mean... It was his first senior goal for the club, yeah. if I understand it, Mike. Yeah. And it's from, what, 30 yards? All of 30 yards, you'd say. It's yeah. an absolute peach right into the corner. Yeah, and he, he didn't. He certainly didn't have a reputation for doing that. <laughs> um, he, I spe- Nick was Nick was great. Uh, he, I think he's, he's one of the... You speak to him now, and he, he, was, he was brilliant. He gave me loads of his time. Um, I think he's like... A, he does like carpet fitting in Scarborough now. And... Um, and he was just really, really generous. And he, he was very open about it. He said when he was a kid in Liverpool, he used to play up front 
and he he scored loads and loads of goals. But then by the time he gets too old, and they try and knock that out of him. Um, and Joe Royal comes. There's a great quote following the final whistle. He said when he got the ball because he kind of there's a free kick. I think Irwin smashes it into the wall and it gets cleared to uh, Henry and takes a touch. And everyone in the ground's basically saying shoot, apart from Joe Royal, who's screaming at him from the bench, <laughs> telling him to pass it. He said, and then he says, when he hits it, he, he almost ducked because he does that in training and it, it goes anywhere. Yeah. And Henry himself said, he's thinking, I, I really should pass this, but now nah, I'm going to have a dig. And as he hits it, he says, I'm, he's just thinking, just hit the target. If you hit the target, he can't have a go at you. And it flies into the bottom corner and there's not a keeper in the world that would have saved it. And I think the, the celebration afterwards, there's a great clip where Milligan gets him in a headlock. And then once he frees himself from Milligan, you just look at I mean, he's a kid at the time. He's this youthful exuberance. And he's just laughing his head off. <laughs> Even he doesn't believe that it's just, where did that come from? Well, is it, did it, perhaps that was out of necessity because, you know, in, in a previous game, he looks up and he thinks, well, there's no one to pass to because the two forwards are off. Right, well, I'm going to have to learn maybe to shoot from 30 yards. <laughs> maybe that's yeah, my yeah. option. Maybe <laughs> that was it, it you know. <laughs> oh, it was a great goal. And then... On to the third goal, Jonathan. Which is an even better goal, a different type I, yeah. of goal. But well, it's, it's, it's just, you, you really are sport of a choice because I was trying to figure out which is the best goal, but it probably would be this one. You would well, say it's just the the inter movements, just a brilliant break. And you have the point Mike made earlier about the pace in the team. That Milligan wins it. It's worked to Richie. Richie just sort of drifts past Nigel Winterburn, and then there's Irwin bombing down the outside. He had two and a little quarter of an hour to go, and there's your fullback making this overlapping mm. run. Plays it to to Irwin. Carries on his run at the box, and then sort of somehow contorts his body to get onto the cross and heads it in. It's a really, really good goal. Just the, the, the fluency of it, the um, the ambition of it, the the, the the sort of no sense of of you know, holding possession, keeping things tight, running down the clock. Like let's get the third, and it's a mm-hmm. yeah, it's a beautiful goal, and it takes all the pressure off. Yeah, yeah they're never going to score three in the last fifteen minutes, whereas they might have got two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and you know once that goes in, it's like wow. Like this is done, and it, and it's not. Yeah, you know, I, I talk about them redefining the acts of giant killing in the book. You kind of you think of giant killing even now, and it's like you you grab a goal against a winner play, and then and then you hold on for ninety minutes. Mm-hmm. Like this this was giant killing, but of a different yeah. type. Like this this was you know an absolute pasting. And there's a great clip. So if you watch it back when the cross comes in and reach your head to in, that's in front of the Arsenal fans who'd had a miserable night. It was November in Oldham. I station Zebra, they're on the open terrace behind the goal. I think it had rained all night. And there's one Arsenal fan in like a yellow raincoat, I think, who just like starts jumping up and down and celebrating. And it's just like, you know, like, <laughs> just, we're just giving up. Like, like, let's just have a laugh. Um, yeah. And that was it. And it's just, you know, at that point, I think you start to realise, wow, like that's, that's the league champions. Yeah. And the, this this could be anything. You know, we, we put seven on Scarborough. How many are we going to get now? I mean, it didn't turn out like that, but you'd take three, one every day of the week. Yeah. But again, just to remind everybody, you know, it'd been 66 years since Oldham had beaten a team from the top flight and they were the champions. And the manner of the goals and the performance, the, you know, it, it, for, for, for the neutrals and for those who didn't know what was going on, it just came out of nowhere for, for a lot of people, um, which was... Just something extraordinary, and and uh, Joe Roy, you said at the start that that people thought Oldham had a decent side. Um, what were the expectations of this season? I mean, I know cut runs are, are, are a funny thing, but but were they was promotion the actual um, 
I suppose it would be. The league is always your your priority, I suppose. Yeah, I think there were about 33 to 1 to come up. Um, mm. What So Joan arrived in 82 and they actually had a good team when he, when he first arrived and he finished seventh in his first season in Division 2. Um, but then he had to sell reality bit and he had to sell all his best players. And, and they that, that, sorry, just... that, that story about how he gets the job is a great story. So you might as well tell that about being on the hard shoulder and the, the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's um, he just packed in at, at Norwich. His knee had gone. He was only 32. Um, he'd applied for a couple of jobs in Division 4. I think Peterborough and Blackpool and they both turned him down. And, and my, it was actually Martin O'Neill um, who was playing alongside him at Norwich. They'd, they'd gone on a, an end-of-season trip to Jamaica and they buy the pool, and it's it's in the Daily Mirror that Oldham have sat Jimmy Frizzle, the, the previous manager, and Martin O'Neill says, who obviously you know goes on to be an amazing manager himself, says to Joe, "Why don't you apply for that?" And Joe's thinking, "Well, I've been binned off by two Division Four clubs, but yeah, I'll, I'll give it a try." Joe doesn't realise how strapped for cash they are <laughs> until he finds out that John Wilde apparently is going to be given the job, but he wanted a Volvo, and they, they refused <laughs> to give him this Volvo, and they'd advertise for a player manager. And he quickly twigged the reason they wanted to play a manager was because they could bring him in and then immediately sell one of the players in that position that the manager played. So his knee's gone, but he thinks by the time they find out the knee's gone, it's all right, they're not going to sack me. Uh, and he goes for a first interview, which goes well. He stays overnight at his mum's house in Magull in Merseyside. He's driving, he gets called back for what he thinks is a second interview and he's on the M62 in his Jaguar coupe and it, the engine goes. So he's on the hard shoulder and he's thinking, I've got, I've, this isn't going to, this isn't great. They're not going to be happy with this. So he has to stick his thumb out for a lift. And, and obviously this is a guy who played for Everton in England. Uh, and it's the motorway that links Liverpool with Hull. So the scouts lorry driver spots him at the side of the road, does a double take and pulls over for him, jumps into the cab of this lorry and he takes him to Boundary Park. And when he gets there, I think he's the only manager in the history to come off the front rather than the back of a lorry. Um, and he gets there and, and they say, yeah, the, the job's yours. This isn't a second interview. We want to give you the job. And later that day, he goes into his office and there's two strangers in there who he thinks are board members, goes and introduces himself. And they're actually bailiffs sizing up the furniture for an unpaid bill. <laughs> so, so, well, well, welcome to Oldham. Um, but yeah, he, they had a decent team. He had to sell all his best players and it quickly with the, with the assistance of his chairman, because Joe, he, he said to me, he never played golf. And it, it, at the peak of his career, I think he scored 28, 29 goals in a season for Everton. He's playing for England and he's earning more from buying and selling cars than he is from playing football. Uh, and that's, again, another indication of how times have changed. But he used those skills, the buying and selling, transferred it into football. And that was his modus operandi. He'd, he'd get the, the great players in. He, he would sell them, Andy Gorham, Mickey Quinn, people like that. And then he'd have to bring players in for a lot less. So it's kind of his first rebuild job climaxed in 86, 87, when they finished third in the second division and were the first football club in history to be denied promotion to the top flight because of the playoffs, because it was the first season of the playoffs. And it horrendous. I mean, I was only eight at the time. It still brings me out in tears now, but they lost one nil at Leeds in the last minute. They get them back to Bounty Park. And this is Leeds who finished nine points below them. They get the, the goal back. It's 1-1. They, with about two minutes left, they go 2 0 up and everyone's still celebrating. We've done it. The old enemy had been pied off. They had to play Charlton at the time because the team in the first division that was coming down had like a last chance to save itself. And then with the last kick of the game, Leeds go and score an away goal. 
Um, and that, that was it. It was disaster, and we got knocked out. I think by that's Leeds. bad. Sunderland got relegated to the third division on away goals against Gillingham that season. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was that was that. And and then the same thing happens, and he he's got to sell his best player, Kevin Moore, who sadly passed away recently, was was one that he had to get rid of. Gorham goes, and it's another rebuild. But it, it's kind of. You'd have done well to pick that Oldham team as one that was going to challenge because I think they finished either 16th or 17th the previous season. They were very streaky. And Joe says that there was a game at Bournemouth not long after he'd signed Frankie Bunn. And it was the first time Bunn and Richie had played together. And it was a uh, unspectacular to the naked eye. They drew 2-2. But on the coach on the way back from that game, he was, he said he was smiled all the way back from Bournemouth back to Oldham because obviously he was a striker himself. And he saw that partnership between Bunn and Richie and he thought, We've got a real chance here with with these two. So I think while they finished 16th the previous season, they'd only lost four of the last 25 games. So if you were smart and if you were if you knew you know if you were an Oldham fan, you probably would have been quite confident. But certainly nobody outside Oldham expected what happened. Mm, yeah, incredible. And what did Joe Rule did he receive a letter of congratulations from the Prime Minister at the end of the season? Or am I dreaming? Have I, have I misread that somewhere? I'm not or sure. Somebody from Number Ten. He may have done. Um, I know he got a Rolex from the club. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> arguably better. Yeah, he actually showed me that last Friday when the, I got the first couple of copies of the book and obviously Joe was one of the first people that I wanted to give a copy to. And mm-hmm. we, myself, Joe, and a couple of the old directors, Joe's son, who, who's a friend of mine, went to the local pub and had a nice meal and, and he took his Rolex off and showed he still got it, which, which was which was nice. And Willie Donachie's number two had, had come from the Gorbals in Glasgow oh, and yeah. incredibly rough upbringing. And Willie had never even owned a stopwatch. And then at the end of that season, he walks off with a Rolex. <laughs> Super. Absolutely superb. Um, Mike, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you about uh, Oldham in, in what Joe Rule called him called the pinch me season, uh, of course, with that amazing win against Arsenal and, and cup runs and so on and so forth there. So yeah, just to remind everybody, um, of course, Mike's book is called uh, This Is How It Feels and it's well worth a read. Uh, but a pleasure having you on the pod, Mike. Thanks very much. No, my pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Marcus. Jonathan. Nice one. Uh, For more stories like that, do check out theblizzard.co.uk. Until next week, Jonathan and I will uh, be back with another great game from football. See you then. 